Welcome to Make It, Share It, the podcast where we explore the simple but profound process to overcome fear, doubt, perfectionism, and more enemies of creativity. Make it and share it. We'll talk to creators of all kinds, from artists and writers to entrepreneurs and inventors, to learn about their creative process, the challenges they faced, and how they overcame them by making and sharing. Whether you're an artist, entrepreneur, or someone who wants to create but feels stuck, this podcast is for you. Creativity, meet courage. All right, welcome welcome back to Make It, Share It. Um, I'm Kent Rabelais and joined as always by Lauren Chandler and Stephen Cooper. Yeah. Guys, and Hello. then Matt Brown today uh, joining us on the show. Super excited to know Matt for a long time. And um, yeah, just grateful, Matt, that you've taken a little bit of time out uh, on West Coast time. I know it's a little bit earlier for you to join us. Yeah, happy to be here. The fallback timing was really nice for this recording. Oh, uh, yeah. So I really didn't even have to wake up early. It's perfect. Yeah. Well, let me do a little intro. This is just fun for me. I always do this differently, but for Matt, I'm going to read uh, from your website, one of your websites, just because I think this is funny. This is classic you. So this is me reading Matt. So I'm a writer, creative director, and strategist. I've started startups, worked for startups, agencies, and Fortune 500 companies, and worked for startups that were bought by Fortune 500 companies. Regrettably, I've yet to start a startup that's been bought by a Fortune 500 company. <laughs> my perspectives on branding and strategy are informed by my own experience in the work of Douglas Holt, cultural strategy, and Simon Ainholt places, with a little Martin Lindstrom, small data thrown in. My writing and creative influences are kept secret so as to make my work seem more original. Classic, <laughs> Matt. I love that. Okay. <laughs> that just tells you a little bit about what you need to know about Matthew <laughs> A. Brown. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold all those all those secrets close to the chest on this interview. So you're not gonna get good. Them. All right, it's a test. Okay, so here's my fun question. This is a little plug for Sparrow. So it's a little conversation card. So traditions is this one. It is officially holiday season, and we can debate on what that means and doesn't mean. But what is your favorite holiday tradition and why? And share a memory you have associated with that tradition. Oh, that's that's interesting. And my fiance and I were just talking about this because we're going to do something similar because the wedding's on December 16th. So something I've done, I'm the youngest of five kids. I have 10 nieces and nephews um, who are in their like 20s by now because my siblings are so much older. But growing up, I was the fun uncle, the funkle. Mm -hmm. So everyone would come to my parents' uh, ranch outside of Fort Worth for Christmas. And I would set up these really elaborate scavenger hunts um, for gifts. And so they would involve puzzles and clues. It was treasure hunt. There was like gambling involved once you actually found the prizes. <laughs> So all my little nieces and nephews would be out just sprinting around on whatever cold, rainy Christmas morning it was. Um, and then they would be fighting over all of the gifts that would range from, you know, like a Justin Bieber calendar to a round trip flight anywhere in the world. Oh, wow. Um, so that was. That's awesome. That was like my favorite. Um, probably. Yeah. 
That's a I'm just picturing like small children shooting dice behind a barn. <laughs> that is exactly like to it. Win the- <laughs> that, awesome. that is exactly it. He's so great. Now, oh, yeah. I am curious about this is why was that like putting all that together fun for you? Mm-hmm. I think I like interactive adventures. Um, Kent, as you would, <laughs> you guys would understatement of the podcast right there. <laughs> uh, and I think that was, that was the thing for me. It was also, I, you know, you have a big family. I didn't see my nieces and nephews that much during the year. So I don't really know them all well enough to get them. Here's like a great gift for you. But what I could create was these experiences and these memories which are things that even now that they're, you know, like I said, in their, a lot of them are in their 20s. They still talk about every Christmas. That and then the, I would also sneak out of the house. I had fireworks hidden all around the ranch. So at some point during the night, I would sneak out of the house. They would try to find me. I'd start setting off fireworks different places and like elaborate sort of home alone. I guess it probably all goes back to home alone. That's what I was yeah. trying to get to. We just yeah. hit, we hit the foundation. Yeah. Right That is the core. <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. So many things to do. I think I'm going to one day write a book about that. Just all things come back to Home Alone Hello. and other tales. It's either that or uh, searching for John Hughes. So, but I think a guy wrote sort of a biography about Hughes that has that title already. So I don't think I can take that one, but I haven't read it. Yeah. The, I, I think everything in, in some way, it's like, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon or something. There's sort of like a six degrees of home alone. Yes. Agreed. All right. That's helpful. Uh, well, I hear in that things, things that I would know, but others would know about you, which you love to create. You love to create experiences to not just, you know, maybe like, oh, here's a book or here's a film or here's a game. What if we put all those together into an experience, uh, which says a lot about, you know, how you're made, how you're wired, those things. So. I love that. Um, so the next thing we want to do is just kind of what we like to do is look at a turning point uh, that was formative for you just to get go a little bit deeper. Um, I'm not sure we'll get deeper than home alone. That's a that's a that's a tall order, but um, we'll we'll try. So just something, you know, formatively, whether again, that was real young or, you know, all the way up through maybe teen or you know, kind of college years where you look back and go. And this really turned how I think and live and relate in the world. I'm, I'm a different person, you know, after this turning point. Is there anything that comes to mind for you with that? Yeah, it's tricky. It's, to some extent, I feel like I haven't turned. I've just charged ahead in a straight line for most of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, whether or not that's good or bad, I, I don't know. But as you know, Ken, if I, I see something, I just sort of like go towards that thing and destroy anything in my path. Yeah, it's true. Um, but I, I was thinking about that because I know you guys have asked this question at the beginning of other podcasts. And I think there there were some moments that were sort of like pivotal in terms of like what came to matter to me in life. Yeah. And I think one of those was... um. I guess I was in eighth grade and I went to this like small private school, um, not to put, not to make it seem fancy cause it was not really that good of a school. All apologies to my sister's, uh, mother-in-law who is the principal. Oh no. Um, but 
it's it's much better now i'm sure but it was like sort of you know we're in mobile homes behind a church it was like that kind of like a school yep and so i was in eighth grade and i was like young for that age um and i had the opportunity to go to if i wanted to like be really competitive in sports i had the opportunity to go um, to high school in the lido um which is a much better uh sporting school than uh tca of alito so it, it was really the decision of do i want to pursue like athletics and this sort of like competitive side or do i want to be with my friends and I chose to like stay at the school and like be with those same group of friends, like kind of all through high school, which included Chris Grissom, um, who Kent and Coop both know, uh, who I, I guess it's difficult um, to think about what my life would have looked like if that hadn't been the case, because Chris was the, he had a job at Pursuant, which was the agency uh in dallas that kent ended up going to work for chris got me a job after college at pursuant which connected me into like that whole like group and sort of set the course of all of our lives so it, it wasn't really it seemed like it's one of the rare decisions i think that seemed like a big decision in the moment and then also turned out to be i feel like most of the time that's mm. not the case it's things that seem very insignificant that turn out to be uh, significant, um, like who you swipe left or right on on an app, which turned out to be significant for me because that's my fiance. Mm -hmm. uh, but in this case, it felt like a very big decision to make as, you know, a 12 or 13 year old. And it turned out to be. Yeah. Love that. It's more, and <clears throat> you know, that's kind of talking about your nieces and nephews and this, it's just, there's a part of you that desires like deep friendships, relationships, community. Um, and I've, I've always seen that, you know, you'll make decisions on that rather than just looking at maybe more things that, uh, not necessarily right or wrong, but that other people might pick is like, okay, this is what I'm going to prioritize, but you've always prioritized trying to work with friends, be with family, um, you know, as, as much as, as you're able, that's been a driver. So I hear that and that story too. Yeah, it, it, it's strange for me to think about because in kind of all of my relationships, and this is another thing, you know, kind of like the work is sort of like the most important thing to me. And I sort of, everything else comes second. But in terms of organizing my life, I try to organize my life in such a way so that the other things are first and the, and the, the work is sort of enabled by that. Yeah. Or organize it in such a way that the work coming first doesn't get in the way of the other stuff. I don't know. Yeah. It, it's definitely a, a tug of war, I feel like, in my brain. Mm. Makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Cooper, learn anything before I jump into the timekeeper? No, I want you to get into the timekeeper. I, I, I would say this, that what I know about, about Matt that I think is really interesting, because I'm drawn to these kind of musicians as well. It's like guys that uh, most professional musicians and writers have their own voice and something that's uniquely them. And then a lot of times that gets sh like shaven down over time when you figure out what's commercially viable and you kind of find your place and then you just kind of stick down that hallway. Matt to me has always been, yes, he'll write an amazing story with amazing characters, but then there's that like fourth dimension that he's like, yes, but it's not going to be in a book form. It's going to be, and then the next sentence out of his mouth is always like, 
wait, what? You know, and it's like a new way to experience. So it's almost like, hey, I wrote this song. It sounds like nothing else. It's really emotional, but you're not going to play it on a streaming platform. You're going to have, and then it's like, huh? And so I've always <laughs> loved that you've stuck to that, to your guns of how your vision is when it would be very easy to just go, well, yeah, well, we can't do that. You're like, no, well, let's try it. And I feel like to your point of your bio, one of those is going to make sense for the right company or group, or, is, or you're going to be on the, the cutting edge of how we're about to start, you know, uh, getting music and, and, and stories and TV and movies. And then it's going to be the world will know Matt Brown. Mm. But I'm like, I've always loved that extra dimension that you bring that I'm like, dude, I don't even know how he's going to do this. Yeah, I don't I don't usually know how I'm going to do it either, which I think is the fun thing. Our, our fun. good friend Mike Nagel um actually he we laugh about this a lot. He's like, "Matt, that's just your defense mechanism because there's no way to fail at something no one's ever tried." That's a great Nagel line. Great. And I'm like that that's actually brilliant. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. No way to fail awesome. at something no one has ever tried. Put it on a t-shirt. Get it? Yeah. Get the revenue flowing, Mike. Yeah. No one is expecting you to succeed at this thing they don't really understand. Like, yeah. I don't know what the model for success for that would be. Yeah. Man, take a note on that for sure. Hmm. Um, I, I mean, I don't know Matt at all, so I'm getting to know you here. But even just thinking about kind of that turning point that you had, as uh, you know, just thinking about maybe our listeners where maybe they're making what they feel like it is an important decision. And I think what probably culture would have told you back then, and as I have kids that are like, I've got a ninth grader and she's at a small private school and she's <clears throat> really great in volleyball. And so there's like, do we stay here? Do we, you know, and the, I think the pressure right now and probably what you felt was, well, go to the better athletic program because that's your future. But here you made a decision that was probably a little bit unexpected. Um, and that's that was the avenue through which all this other stuff happened. And, and you got to do this really meaningful work. And it's just encouraging to me as I'm making decisions for and with my daughter, you know, um, about the future, because she's she's on me for different reasons. Being like, you know what, what's unexpected might work out better than what's expected. And even for people listening right now where they're coming at maybe a crossroads or they're making a decision that they feel like, oh my gosh, I just, if I go this way, what's going to happen? It, it, I just think it was very encouraging that you took the unexpected turn and that ended up being um, where all this meaningful work and in, in relationships has come through. So I, just, I was really encouraged by that. Yeah. Well, what was interesting about that too, is it didn't, like change who I was or like what yeah. I wanted. Yeah. What it meant though, is a lot of times in high school, my brothers coached at an inner city school in Fort Worth, Diamond Hill Jarvis, where there, it was all like black and Hispanic. And I would drive from my high school, like all junior year after school down there to compete and play basketball. Oh, nice. Um, so yeah, I, there, there were ways to do it that didn't involve, you know, yeah. Changing schools. Changing, yeah. yeah. Yeah, cool. The other way you could do this was just be have my athletic genealogy 
<laughs> which even though I was over I six feet tall, my decision was made by God <laughs> to pursue non-athletic <laughs> career yeah. paths. Yes. That's the other option for, for some of us out there. Yeah. It was obvious, like, even when I was like a really good basketball player in the eighth grade, like, because I was super tall and kind of looked like Sean Bradley out there. And I was just kind of, I could do it because I was tall. Even then, as a non-self-aware 14-year-old, I was like, this is not my life. I, and I can't do this. I'm going to be found out so soon. I got to go learn those Nirvana songs on guitar and get good at that real quick. If I'm going to have any chance here. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. So what we want to do is just look at the timekeeper. Uh, so this is the latest project for Matt. Uh, I mean, there's always a lot of things going on, but I would say the latest one that was, a you know, you, you really poured a lot into your resources wise um, to, to give it a go. And so we would just want to hear about creating it and making it, as we would say on here and sharing it. But let's just start with, in your words, Matt, you know, what, what is the timekeeper for someone who has never heard of it? The timekeeper, um, hold on. I, I actually, I think I probably have it up because otherwise it's difficult for me to describe it. Um, it was, okay, I had, to, I had to double check because I get confused explaining it. The Timekeeper was basically an interactive online event experience built around a four-episode horror podcast. So we created a scripted um, podcast series called The Timekeeper about some teenagers in a small town who are trapped inside of essentially a video game. Um, not digitally, but they're playing a game, and if they don't win the game, they die, right? That's the sort of basic premise. And then we created an event experience online around that, that included a lot of different interactive elements, but that was kind of, kind of the core of it was how can we take something that's, you know, horror is really kind of a communal genre to begin with. So how can we create using the latest technology, um, which you guys know I love, uh, how can we create an interactive experience around that? And I would say in many ways, it was sort of a proof of concept for how the premiere of different forms of media, TV or film or whatever, how those premieres can create interactive experiences mm -hmm. for users on like digital platforms. Wow. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, it's really interesting because the first time I remember experiencing anything like this was Lost, the TV show. Okay. It What was interesting, though, is they did not have any of their interactive game, you know, communal experiences in play. They created it very last minute, uh, they being J.J. Abrams and Damon Lindelof, uh, very last minute as a pitch for ABC, for an executive there. I think at least the story goes it's about in a week and pitched it. They were like, yeah, let's run with it. And then it takes off as we just, as we make things and share them, you just never know this particular thing takes off. Then they're like, Ooh, let's kind of create some of these really cool, unique interactive experiences for the time with what tech was available then, which mostly was websites, you know, a little bit of social media. So then what you did to me with timekeeper is, 
is create something like that, except for you were thinking about that from the very beginning, is how will all these different elements come together to help tell the story? Uh, so, but yeah. How's yeah, that I think something that I've thought a lot about um, the last, well, I don't know, I guess decade maybe, um, I, but specifically the last few years is we're moving from a world where types of content are the thing that matter. Um, whether something is a film, whether something is a TV show, whether something is, you know, a YouTube video to a world where the creator matters or the story itself. And obviously the old term for that is like transmedia, right? It's one story told through a bunch of different forms of media. Mm -hmm. And that's what we were doing with seven poets in 2011 or 2012. But now I think that's actually happening in a way that we engage across different screens and different devices seamlessly. And so I don't think that, so what I was kind of looking for is what is an experience that uses all of the things that we already use simultaneously mm -hmm. and, and how would that actually function? So that was on one side of it. And then the other side of it is, oh, I was coming from, I was working at FX, the network and at Fox before that doing a lot of strategy and stuff for like around like film or shows and branded content and advertising and sponsorships. And so a, a big issue for media platforms now is essentially like, how do you, how do you be sticky? Like, how do you keep people from just canceling after they mm -hmm. binge their favorite show? And how do you increase the average revenue per user um, without just raising prices? Cause at some point I know you guys all probably subscribe to Disney plus, but at some point there is a number they'll yeah. get to where you'll be like, okay, $78 a month is, is probably too much. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So for me, it was, how do I tie all of these different thoughts and ideas into a single project where I can kind of test all of it? Um, which was ambitious uh, to be sure. And we, barely pulled it off. Um, and I am still alive. So, so yeah, that, that was kind of where it came from though, is like, what does the future look like for platforms creating experiences like in Netflix, right? How does Netflix, when they release a new season of stranger things, yeah. using the latest technology, create a cool interactive experience for their audience? Yeah. That's, that's basically the simple version. Yep. Yeah. Um, so because I want to, bring this down back to our audience and leave like maybe some of the the specialty parts of what we're talking yeah. about, like in the making of it all, like what, you know, like this, it's an ambitious challenge. Like, what are you facing in terms of like resistance as we we've talked about on this mm -hmm. show and you and I've talked about, a, you know, a press field's idea of resistance, like with this particular and like, what were you up against trying to make this? Uh, ish. Um, okay. So let's take the part that everyone understands, right? Which is like a, a podcast. So with that, um, that part is, is fairly simple, right? So you need, you need to have a script for the actors. You need to have the actors and then you need to have a sound designer, right? And you need to have a process to produce that. But we had never, so me and my fiance now, she produced the kind of just the podcast side of it. 
but we had never done that, right? She comes from entertainment. She worked at Atomic Monster, James Wan's company. Um, she worked at, she's been on the, like the development side for TV, for TV and film. But first we had to say, we, I, I guess I would say like, we had to talk to a lot of people who had made podcasts. So there was just a knowledge gap, I would say initially, which was, okay, well, let's, who do you know? Who do I know who's done this? And let's just talk to them and ask questions. So there was a big knowledge gap that we had to close first. Then there was a, okay, well, how is, I've written a ton of movie and TV scripts, but how is a podcast script different? Um, so that was, that was kind of another, again, another knowledge gap. Well, does anyone I know have scripts? What do they look like? How much detail goes into the sound design? So I think there were several knowledge gaps to close, but I would say the biggest point of resistance on that ended up being, I don't typically write that genre. I was not supposed to write this. We hired someone to write it. Then they just wasn't working out and I had to fire them and then take over the script after we were already out casting and write it in like a month oh, wow. to be able to go out to talent. So that was a moment of resistance where it was sort of, we either have to call this off, right? Which may have been a better decision, but we either, we either have to call this off and it's just not going to happen. Or I have to reprioritize and really like not think about whether or not I can do this or should do this. I just have to do it. Mm -hmm. Wow. My encouragement <clears throat> hearing that for the people listening, I think knowledge gap is, is, is out there for a lot of people. And it's the one thing that should never stop you from doing a project. Cause to me, it's like the idea or the talent behind it is what most people don't have that don't have the knowledge gap. And I remember thinking that's how I got into the oil business. I was brought in for this interview to meet these guys and I was thrown into a room with six guys, two generations older than me with nothing in common. And my hair and my tattoos also just turned them off to me immediately. But I got right in there. I knew what was going on. I was being tested. And I was like, I can hang with these guys. We'll talk sports. We'll talk this. And when I got back for my job interview the next morning, the guy said, basically, you don't need to know anything about the oil business. I can teach you that in a week. But I can't teach what you did last night. So I'll hire you based on your personability. Yeah. And then I'll teach you oil in a day, man. Don't even worry about it. So like, to me, I always hear that same thing in music. Like I had this idea for an album, but I have no idea how to get it done. I'm like, we can figure it out. Yeah. You go like you did. You just have to talk to people. Who do I know? Googling it and just going down some crazy rabbit holes. And next thing you know, you're off and running. Yeah. But I feel like that's a big thing. A lot of people, that's how you yeah. can, I don't stare at the screen for the idea. I stare at the screen of like, how do I do this? Yeah. Kind of the thing. Mm-hmm. And that should never stop you. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think there is a, I, I think people are maybe like scared to not know stuff. Mm. So you don't want people to think you're naive or you don't want people mm. to be like, well, how are you going to do this thing that you don't know anything about? And it's like, well, the answer is you, 
you learn about it and that's how you do it. <laughs> it isn't, but you, you have to be like, okay, not knowing stuff. And there's so many people, especially like in entertainment industry where, where I am that are very like specialized and they may know a lot, very, they may know a lot about a very narrow field of things, but they don't really know much outside of it. So for this project, especially we needed kind of a lot of different touch points of expertise. So it, it was not being afraid to just ask questions and reach out to people. And for the most part, like people were willing to share like their experiences and their advice and they want to help. So I think that is like a big thing for, yeah, for anyone listening, who's like, I want to do this thing, but I don't know how to do it. Talk to people who do. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Um, I also think it's interesting, you know, you talk about the knowledge gap and where that's good. And then you can get in these places where you, you know, you can get stuck in research and it's like, and, and I don't want to skip to the sharing part quite yet, but it's, it tends to happen more on the share side, right? It's like you get blocked from sharing it cause you just won't stop making it, um, in this space. You've always been good. It just, I, I feel like churning out content, like doing your best on that content, but then going to the next one. It's what we talked about with Craig Cunningham of uh, the masterpiece mentality, like not getting stuck and like, okay, this is it. Like, this is my masterpiece. So therefore I'm going to keep fiddling with it versus like, all right, I made this project. Now I'm moving to the next one. Like, did that come naturally to you where you just feel like you always just were able to kind of do that and not get caught up in a masterpiece mentality? Or did you learn that over time? Like, how has that been for you? It's a good question. Um, I think where I get really into the masterpiece mentality in a negative way is on the concepts okay. and not actually the execution of the components. Okay. So for a project like this, the actual like script is like one component of like a dozen components and is like in many ways the most important thing but also is like not that important in a, in a way because of everything else that I know I have to do still so, so but for me I think with this the the sort of masterpiece thing was wanting to cram every idea into one mm -hmm. thing and like how can I trick it out and make it like the most interesting thing possible mm -hmm. and so that I think is sometimes where I get bogged down versus just doing the simple version and making the simple thing. And I think that can result in cool stuff, but it can also be a hindrance if you don't ever make the parts of the whole. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I've, I've always liked the Rick Rubin thing about a table and I don't know where he's talked about it, but he, his early works, he used to call himself a, a simplifier. Like instead of produced, he was reduced by Rick Rubin. He would come in and he just saw that bands had too much. He's like, this is the song. And so the table thing was like a table needs four legs to stand up properly and be a table. You can add 30 more legs to it. It doesn't make it a better table. It's still a table. But like he says, he, he comes in and he sees songs as tables with 30 legs. And he's like, I just got to find the four that it needs. And we're off and running. Yeah, that's a great, that, that is a great way to think about it. And I think, um, 
yeah, I guess in my mind, I'm like, what is a table that's also a ship that also <laughs> is a like a rocket? And at some point yeah. you're just like, yeah, maybe just make a table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. I think I think Matt's one of his uh, inspirations for always moving on past the masterpiece is your technology piece because it's always changing and improving and we're getting our media in different ways. And so each new thing that pops up, I think just like lights fires in his brain of like, well, now wait a minute. What, yeah. you know, and then it's like, so he can't be stuck on the one he was doing two years ago because now it's not outdated, but it's like there's something to move forward to, which I yeah. think is really cool. Yeah, that, that's a great point. I think the the possibility is kind of what excites me, like seeing what's possible. And so that I would say like this project, even though it was um, last year was a lot, uh, it was the most excited I'd been in a long time about the potential of something and and not the potential really of the the timekeeper itself just as a piece of like ip but in the potential to experiment and kind of be one of the first ones playing with something that i think is going to be really big in the future hmm. yeah i have a question about the timekeeper is it something like we could go listen to now and be a part of or was that like a one i know we can listen to the podcast but how does the event work like can we go to it now how does that work no and i would say uh <laughs> you, you can't um darn yeah the the event was um it lasted for like a week basically okay. and so all of those components and this is another thing i would say anyone out there um wanting to, you know, launch a product or a business or something, give yourself more than five days to be successful. That would, I would say like, that's a, yeah. I've learned that I should have learned that when we, we did seven poets a decade ago, um, doing things that are live that, that have a very limited window of yeah. success mm -hmm. or discoverability. Yeah. Is is a challenge. It, it works when you already have a huge audience, right? right? Which is why for me, I was like, I'm really kind of testing a concept that would work great for Netflix or Disney. Yeah. Um, but I'm not currently working for those places, so I had to like make all of it myself. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay, that's good. Makes sense. Uh, just while we're on it, I know I'll put it in the show notes, but uh, Matt, what if for people that just want to listen to the story? What, what's the best way to go? Yeah, um, Spotify, Apple, anywhere you get your podcasts, um, you will find the Timekeeper. Um, and on Apple, it's actually under Heart Starts Pounding, which is mm -hmm. my fiance's um, always on weekly podcast. So I'll plug that. But yeah, yeah, those are those are both under the Heart Starts Pounding banner. Okay, cool, great. While I wish I'd known the discoverability part, I totally would be there. I totally would be there. But hey. Maybe Netflix and Disney will get onto this and then they'll buy your idea and go from there. That's that that's the hope. We're uh yeah, yeah I think we're the the all of the uh strikes have put a damper on, <laughs> uh, on having those discussions. But uh fingers crossed going into yeah. next year we'll be in a good place. At the right at the right time. Yeah. So talk a little bit about the sharing of all this. You've made it, it's, you know, obviously complex. There's a lot of moving pieces. You know, again, we fit on some of it. One, we've got the the finite, you know, time piece of 
sharing it's a learning lesson that that's going to make something really challenging to have that, you know, one week sort of, uh, it has to hit. But what else uh, for you did you learn when you look back on the sharing uh, uh, that you kind of take away as, as insights? Uh, let me see what the, what the simple version is. And so we're not getting into the complexities. If you, if, for anyone who wants the, the actual takeaways, there is a full postmortem available on my website for the timekeeper. I can give that to you, Kent. And you can it is interesting for those that are in digital marketing and, you know, content creation and all that. I highly recommend it. Yes. But for those that aren't and are just thinking more about sharing yeah. whatever that it is they're trying to create. The biggest takeaway was probably, I, I think my takeaway whenever I put something out, like, is just be curious, not defensive. Mm. So like, be curious to how people respond to things and like be interested in why they respond in certain mm. ways instead of worrying that they don't like it the way you thought they would or that they don't respond to it the way that you had intended. Because um, I think that's, if you go into it with that mindset, then it makes it a lot easier to look at criticism or look at reviews. For anyone, you know, if you're starting a business today, anyone on the internet can say anything they want about your business publicly. Yeah. Um, if you're putting out a piece of content, anyone on the internet can say anything they want about your content publicly. So you need to come up with, I think, a healthy way to relate to that dynamic. Yeah. And I think for me, it's just like, be, be curious about it. Really? Good. I think mm -hmm. the, the share it part now has got just as much knowledge gap as anything else with all, everything we're creating. It's like the release strategy is just as changing and, ever moving as technology. So it's, to me, that's another thing, like you've created something, it's time to share it. That's another time to reach out to who are five people that I know are doing this and get their postmortems on their last project to try to help me navigate what to do. I think that's, to me, I find myself, I know how to make music and the music I want to make now, but by the time I make it every 12 months, it's a different strategy on how to release it and to where. And so you got to kind of keep up with that knowledge gap. That's always trying to expand on you. Yeah. I think that it's a very marketing used to be very simple, right? Like I, I graduated with my degrees in marketing in 2006. Like marketing back then was pretty easy. Like every marketing class I took was the same class. Like it, there, there, there weren't any different classes. It was just one class where you learn the same things over and over. Yeah. Marketing today, you know, it is sort of like infinite. The way I always talk about it is, I won't mention gravity, Kent, but. Oh, I was like, is he about to do gravity? I think there's a way to do it that people, but anyway, go ahead. I. I think like you used to, if you had any, anything that you were trying to sell to people or get people to listen to, you were sort of sending it through a few channels to reach everyone. Now you have to send it through everyone to reach some, someone that, that is an enormous fundamental shift. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people who have been doing things for a long time, haven't 
necessarily adapted to that. Uh, and I think a lot of people who even who have grown up inside of digital media don't necessarily know how to harness that. It's mm. mm -hmm. a massive challenge. Um, how are you thinking again, post all of this experience with timekeeper? I mean, I think it's interesting even, even with Kaylin and, uh, heart starts pounding is that it's huge success. Um, and as I've told, was telling you and her the other day, I think part of that is because actually is she simplified so much down to this is the tribe of people that I, you know, want this to get to. And it's what I love. Like she, she loved it. She is as a fan. And it's like this simple concept of a podcast that's just taken off because she hit her tribe. So I've been thinking a lot in, you know, an upcoming audio book I'm doing. It's just like people follow people who are maybe some of the people that where I can just get this into, like, they are going to love this story. It's their kind of story. Um, I don't know. I, we'll see if how that goes, but like, how are you looking at it? I mean, it's a huge challenge. How does someone try to overcome this challenge? And granted, you could spend obviously a whole book on this topic. Uh, speaking of, it's been a marketing class, but at a high level, just how are you thinking about navigating, getting things through everyone or anyone so that you can find the someone. Yeah. Um, I, I think a lot of people are, I think a lot of people at a lot of companies are trying to figure that out for us. I guess maybe now I, I will talk about gravity, but, um, the, the way that I think about, um, and this comes from in my, the intro that you read on my website from the beginning. It is a combination of the work of several different marketers and cultural strategists that I just sort of have picked little pieces from. I think of narrative and storytelling as a sort of like gravitational invisible force, right? That holds things together. So people share a set of beliefs or they share a set of ideas. They share a love of a sports team. I, in my mind, visualize all these little planets, right? That people orbit around. And some things you have a light attachment to, right? Some things you have a strong attachment to. But for me, when I'm thinking of a product or a brand or a company or a business, I'm thinking, how does the thing that I'm making pull people into it? Like, who are the people who are going to sort of orbit around it naturally, right? If I'm making a song and it's in a genre, right? It's a specific type of music. People who like that type of music or that type of band may be my natural sort of like group. So I want to say in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, then my audience is going to be composed of all of the different places that those people naturally orbit around. Like, so that's how I think of it. And then I think of, okay, how can I then connect all of these different parts and pieces? So I would say in practice, like with Kaylin's podcast, um, it's for the darkly curious, it's horrors, hauntings and mysteries. It's sort of not too dark. We call it ethical true crime sometimes, sometimes it's supernatural things. So that started with her from big social media followings. And then it was saying, okay, well, there's social media. There's a lot of, but, but there's not really any gravity around you, right? So if you're on the for you page on TikTok, you don't actually have that gravity. That's you throwing stuff into the algorithm and TikTok decides what the gravity is. So you don't really have that much of a relationship. You could have a million followers, but it's very weak, right? It's a very weak relationship. 
So if TikTok shuts down, which they should, um, be forced to by the U.S. government, um, then where's your audience? Well, they're not there anymore. Okay, well, Instagram, same thing. But we noticed Instagram relationships were a little deeper. The audience was a little different. More people saw your content. But then it was saying, okay, still, if Instagram changes something, your content doesn't get seen by anyone. So how do you get that relationship, the strong force sort of relationship? And the podcast kind of ended up coming out of that in her wanting to do longer form content. So then we sat down last like April and really went through kind of a proper branding exercise and what's the story and what's the narrative and how do all of these little points, these touch points that you have connect and how can we make them work together and how can we eliminate friction between them and where do we want people to end up? And it's like, well, we want them to end up in the strong relationship with you, right? So we want to get as many people from these light touch points into the deep touch point where then we can have more interaction with them, where their orbit is more frequent, right? We see them every couple of days and we see them one long time during the week for the podcast and we see them maybe on the Patreon. So it, for me now with that question is how do I tie all of the different interactions someone's going to have with me or with my brand together coherently? Yeah. It makes sense. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's this, is, this is supposed to be a technical marketing podcast, right? Right. Yes. <laughs> That's what we were going for. Yeah. Okay. Hey. I'm learning so much though. I'm like, yeah, that makes yeah. so much sense. I mean, honestly, that's stuff that we've talked through with like, um, with our literary agents and I mean, just trying to gather people so that you can give them what you have and have mm -hmm. deep connection. Cause that, that is the problem is the current social, social media platforms are, they're unreliable for that. So there's got to be a, a, a place where like a front porch that you invite people to, to come hang out and then eventually invite them into the house uh, to, to share what you've made, uh, to get to know them and for them to get to know you. So that's actually really helpful. And I think cross-discipline stuff is really yeah. inspirational. So it's like, if you're in the music world or you're in a, you're writing books and you hear how like an artist who paints and their take on, yeah. this is how I paint, this is how I find my audience. This is where I do, this is why I do, um, you know, art exhibits and it'll just spark 10 more ideas that you didn't see it because someone's just looking at it from a little different angle. So you talking this way in podcasts yeah. not only helps podcasters and everybody with that podcast idea and how to, how to find your people, but then it's also whatever you create, you've got to start listening to other disciplines and going, oh, what could I take from that? Or like, oh, I could do the same thing. Why am I not doing that with music? Like, I love it. So I love getting into this from even just a podcast and digital marketing side, because it should help everybody. I think it should, because so much of it is all of the different industries used to have their own specific like mechanisms, right? But now all of the mechanisms, like all of the mechanism of marketing and communication revolves around the same platforms, the same digital platforms and social media. So in a way, like it's much easier to take something that works in music and apply it to art or art that, and apply it to film because the channels, like the actual distribution channels are the same distribution channels. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Cool. Um, Lauren, Coop, anything else from you guys for Matt? 
Oh my goodness. There's so much here. No, not without going down. I'm the king of the rabbit hole, so I don't want to open up any portal to a whole new world that we find ourselves in in five minutes. Yeah. Well, we didn't get to quantum mechanics, so that's good. We, it's good. And and we hit Home Alone Foundation, yeah. so I feel that feels a good one. Yeah. Let me just put this out there for Home Alone. If my house is going to be broken into, I'd prefer it to be at the level of those two gentlemen yes. <laughs> and not anything more sinister. Yeah. Well, I'd like to throw that in. It's fair. <laughs> like, I've always, like, as a kid, that's the only thing that it did that was horrible. Like, if those guys are breaking in, we're all going to be okay. Right. Um, but the reality is micro machines on the ground and marbles aren't going to work on the guys in my neighborhood who are breaking into houses. That's all. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. Fair point. Um, well, great. Uh, so I'll put uh, links to the timekeeper in the show notes. We already talked about it. You can get on Spotify, you can get on Apple, you can get wherever pretty much you like to listen to podcasts. Um, and then put all the other stuff we've talked about in the show notes that uh, would be helpful. And uh, definitely rate and review on Apple Podcasts. A lot of things flow from that. So if you uh, are enjoying Make It Share It, go there and give us a review. That'll help out a lot. Uh, Matt, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks yeah, for having thanks. me. Thanks. Fun to thanks, have you. Matt. Nice Great. to meet you, Lauren. Great to yeah. see you, Kent and Coop, as always. Yeah, man. For Good sure. to see you again. All right. Well, we'll see you next time. I'll make it share it. You see here, kid? You gotta just go for it. Don't think about what comes after or what came before. You just gotta bend your knees, take a deep breath, and jump, jump. And you might think, what if I fall? Well, what if you don't?